Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Jay Hersko. Joining me once again, I have Joel Zinestone. Almost. Zinestone, shit. <laughs> At the last second, it was in my head and I went left when I should have went right. Joel Zinestone and Jonathan Schneider. Howdy, howdy. How's it and going, everybody? We are glad to have you both. So once again, we are deep in the series. Uh, well, not deep, but we're just scratching the surface now in Metaphors Matter. Uh, this will be the second episode in the series. The last episode we introduced the concept of mechanics versus doctors. And are we doing ourselves a disservice by looking at things uh, through a mechanical engineering lens when maybe we should look at things more from a biology lens? So we're gonna pick up where we left off. One of the last things we talked about in the last episode was adjusting our expectations and how when we look at things mechanically, there, there's an assumption that things last indefinitely and replacement parts are our, 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 uh, solution to a breakdown, whereas, Organically, if we look at organizations through an organic lens, they have a life cycle. They're born, they live, they mature, they die. And we can find purpose and meaning and legacy. Jumping off that, I want to jump in with the next concept you introduced, Joel, which is the idea of, we talk about biologic, we talk about engineering and mechanical. How, does, how do we need to reframe our view of organizational change and transformation using the biology versus engineering lens? So, so transformation is, is one of those really interesting, really deep topics that uh, also means about a million different things to about a million different people, right? So you ask anybody and they'll probably have a different definition of what transformation uh, means. And, and I think it's, it's one of those things that, uh, that has, uh, in many cases, lost a lot of its meaning through, through different companies, right? Uh, but when we talk about successful transformations, when you when you study things like uh, Safe's Guide to, to Big Transformation, uh, and there there's some of the market leaders out there with uh, particularly agile transformation, um, they they talk about things like uh, wanting strong executive level support, uh, starting with leadership, and, and we have that conversation a lot in in all of our agile circles that. Uh, agile transformation really starts falling apart quickly if you don't if start with leadership and get leadership transformed first, right? Um, we, we talk a lot about making sure that we're supplying sufficient resources to, to coach and transform. And if, if uh, any discerning listeners there heard me say resources, that was, that was an important <laughs> word right there, right? Um, and, and ultimately, we, we go about trying to replace parts of the system, processes, oftentimes people uh, that, aren't in, that aren't compatible with, with transformation's goal, right? Um, and, and we do that in a very, uh, it ends up being chaotic, but we try to do it in a very mechanical organized way, right? Uh, a lot of times executives will ask for what's your plan what is your give, give me your milestones for a successful transformation and, and things like that right um which is kind so, of us shooting ourselves in the foot right joel like we yeah. preach we preach sense and respond over predictive plan and yet we approach our transformations in this mechanical i'm gonna create a project plan and we're gonna roll it out piece by piece it's kind of counterintuitive it is, and uh, John, I think I think you uh, you've got a lot of experience in this realm, w leading transformations and and throwing out uh, new ways of of looking like that. So so, what do you think this well, starts to look like? You know, so the first thing that was going through my head, and I couldn't get it out and, until I had to pitch it out, was there's still so much baggage with the word transformation, where a lot of agilists started to have this kind of tone and bias about, well, transformation, uh, there's no end. Like people would always say like, well, you're trying to target something. And there was this whole uproar in the community where it's like, well, transformation implies that there's an end. We're, we're never ending. This is going to continue. So to your point of a million different opinions of a million different people, that was one of them. And mechanical transformation, and when you look at it from that lens, a lot of the times people have viewed the type of transformation as we just need to be more efficient at what we're doing. And they always approach it with that mindset because I think some biases would come in that we know what we need to do. We just need to be more efficient. And that was almost every transformation that I was a part of early in my career. 
optimize the widgets, optimize the people. How do we get them better? Lean, waste, mechanical, repeat. What's this process? Is it good? And it was just, when they said start with leadership, it was Taylorism, start with leadership. It was that kind of start with leadership. So that was the more of the mechanical view that I saw was how do we just make the person more repeatable to be more efficient? Um, it's, and I guess the equivalent would be just, hey, if, as long as you work out every day from 6 to 8 a.m. and you do it every single time, you should be able to get the results. And it was just like very repetitive. And then the person would start doing it and doing it and doing it. But then like at some point, they almost don't even question why they're doing it. And they just do it because it becomes just Pavlov's mindset. Like they just mm -hmm. started doing it. And this is where we get into the dangerous territory of, yay, we're being more efficient, but I don't know if we're being effective and that's where the mechanical transformation started to lose sight. Well, and, and John, don't you think uh, like a lot of times our transformations when, when we put them in place, we're laser focused on kind of a single thing. And, you, and the example yeah. you gave was efficiency. Like a lot of times, uh, even in agile transformation, we're, we're laser focused on um, agility. Even, even us as agile coaches, right? We, yep. we have, there's entire podcast that we've done on, on this podcast about, well, how do you measure agility? How do you tell if, if a transformation is being successful, right? But the, the truth is that's only one dimension of health and, and yes. not always necessarily the most important one, right? Right. right. I, and I know we're going to get into it when we get into organic, but, you know, we, you, to your point, flow metrics, uh, all of these measures and all of these things that can indicate how to be more lean and efficient and you're optimizing cost and everything's flowing great. And what's the always thing that people would say, we are really highly efficient at delivering something that nobody asked for and didn't sell. And that's what happens yes. sometimes. And yes. the same thing applies in the medical side where someone would be like, I work out every day, I eat healthy, I do all this, but at the end of the day, I have diabetes. And it's like, well, you didn't actually treat that and everything you did missed wildly the mark on your measures or you were measuring all of the wrong things based off what you actually needed to solve and target. You didn't understand the real health of what you were at and targeting. So it's really interesting when you look at it from the lens of if you want to be highly efficient, it is an important measure. And I think that's where we have to be careful to make sure people understand it's part of it. But people used it as the Bible, to your point, as this was success. And that like, was the problem. Right. Like we're not saying lean and agile is bad. Right, right. <laughs> it's a compliment, or it's like complimentary, and it's mm -hmm. part of it. Um, and I think once you start to, and I think this the same thing applies when you start looking at people's health and their bodies. Like when you start to actually understand what your uh, DNA is and what your what you inherited, and whether it's anything disease wise or like you know that you target those, you know those are your constraints, and you optimize your health around that. But you still want to make sure that you eat healthy that you do like these other core measures and things that are natural to your body that you should do, just like you should have good cycle time. You should have good throughput. You should have good whip. Sure. Right. And this is all the kind of jargon you would hear also in health mm -hmm. magazines and health blog. It was the same thing, right? But at the end of the day, it's like, okay, well, does the magazine know how you grew up, what your DNA is, what you've gone through? No. Right. So, right. so Jay, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm agreeing with both of you, but I want to, I want to sort of, Go to the next part because that's the exciting part, right? Yeah. So if we if we go from looking at things mechanistically and look into looking at things organically, Joel, what's the well, especially when it comes to organizational change and transformation, what's the the things that we should think about? So okay, so so if we think about this from a, a health organic type of perspective, then a lot of the analogies of what you who are listening probably have heard from your doctor apply, right? Things like, hey, look, you need to look at all the dimensions of your health, not just the number on the scale. You need to you need to look at your uh, your heart rate, your your blood pressure. You need to look at your your blood sugar levels, etc. Right, and then uh, many times when any of that is out of whack, uh, or we need to lose weight or whatever. Uh, what they say is, well, let's start making small lifestyle changes and, and build on those rather than trying to, trying to make the big change all at once, right? Right. Um, I, and actually, a, a book that I'm, I'm reading right now is uh, the, the book Atomic Habits. Uh, John, you recommended it to me. Who is that by? Do you remember? Oh, geez, you're putting me on the spot. I should know this. Um, totally. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. I'm no help. <laughs> it's, it's, um, um, James, right? James something? James Clear. Sounds, 
Sounds about right. We'll go yeah. with that. Um, but but the whole premise of it is that if you want long lasting change, you don't do transformation at any scale with a big capital T, right? You make you make small lifestyle changes that you can build on. Um, you you don't go to the uh, the fat weight loss boot camps or whatever because those have a horrible horrible rate of of gaining all that weight back, right? Mm-hmm. You don't go on these huge dramatic diets. You start eating a cup of broccoli every day. <laughs> you right, know? right. Like, cut out cut out the soda. Cup of broccoli exactly. every day. Walk around the block. You know, exactly. it's little. It's it's the little. And here we are quoting Cotter, but not trying to quote Cotter, right? It's the small incremental positive steps that you build on. Absolutely. Um, and, Absolutely. And, and much like much like embarking on a plan of weight loss, right? Yep. There's times you're going to take steps where sometimes you regress and you yeah. cheat and you just, you wake up the next morning and there's dominoes boxes everywhere and you have no idea what happened. You know what? That's going to happen. Yeah. But that should be a learning event, not a, oh, well, it's all over, right? I, you don't just throw your hands up in the air and give up. You, you, you retrench right. and you say, I slipped up. I got to be careful to not do that again. Let's keep going forward. Now, now I think there is a role for capital T transformation. There is a role for big, dramatic, uh, in, in the organic world, system-wide shocks to, to the body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if we think about that with, with our own health, occasionally we have to cause our body tremendous amounts of trauma in order to save its life, right? We go through, we do, we have surgery done. We, uh, we, and, and some of that is life-threatening. I mean, people don't talk about it much, but if you actually look at anesthesia, even just the act of anesthesia of, of going under is extremely dangerous. More dangerous in many instances than the surgery itself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you only want to do that when, when the risk of the death of the organism is higher than if you don't do that, right? You don't want to do that for just, oh, well, we need to become more lean and more efficient. So we're going to, we're going to do a big transformation, right? You, you only want to do that kind of organism changing, organism altering uh, change rollout when the very life of the patient is at stake, Right. Uh Um, And that's that's hard for us because we're under constant pressure as coaches to prove our value, to show to to demonstrate the benefit that we're bringing to the organization. Right. And so things like um, like big surgery is a uh, a kind of a a way to showcase that and the value that we bring. Right. Uh, so, so we kind of get ourselves into, in the mechanical world, into this trap of big transformation by that pressure to prove our value, right? Uh-huh. You know, it's funny when you, I, I'm sorry, every time you say something, something gets burned into my head and then I just have to blurt it out. When you were saying like anesthesia sometimes is even more uh, impactful than the actual uh, activity that you're going to do to for why they need it, it the, immediately what went to my head was is anesthesia is like when we as coaches tell people you have to move slower to move faster that's the comp that's the corporate <laughs> anesthesia it's like <laughs> yeah you need to go under because we need to do some work here it's like, <laughs> um but i love what you're bringing up um man uh, jay i want to hear from you first what's going through your head um i the whole the whole idea of dramatic system system system-wide shocks right? And, and massive intervention. Um, that is only something that we do. It's like trauma surgery. You don't do it. You don't do it because you know, it'll get you the outcome. You do it because you are literally backed into a corner where you have no other option, mm-hmm. right? Um, surgery is always a surgery of last resort, especially like open heart, something where it's, it's traumatic and they know that the recuperation time is bad. Yeah. So we know this and yet we consistently embark on these journeys of, of agile transformations or digital transformations or DevOps transformations or whatever, where we try to introduce those massive system-wide shocks and we say, oh, well, we just need to, we need to set the right ground. We need to, yeah. we need to plant the right seeds so everybody's accepting of it. I, just because I know I need to go for open heart surgery does not mean I'm going to be more accepting of it. Does not mean my recuperation is right. going to be any easier. It is what it is. So thinking about 
what we prescribe as almost like almost like sociopathic doctors. Um, it, it really, when, when Joel sent that to me, it really kind of made me think. Like every time I've done a capital A, capital T, big, big bang transformation, or even just a big bang project, right? Yeah. It's, well, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for fail. So you really can't be surprised when it doesn't go well. I'm always trying to connect the dots uh, for our listeners on like, well, what would this mean for me in the, in the real world? And based on what you're saying, Jay, like, can you imagine somebody going through open heart surgery or something very dramatic and, and they get through it and it's successful. They feel great. But like, it's not like, oh, I had open heart surgery. I'm going to go home and I'll just be a normal human being after that. Like, no, you have to recover and you have yes. to probably take meds and do a regimen and nutrition. And like, and yes. it's still very hard. What do you think okay. happens when a lot of people do these things where they hire consultants to help them do a dramatic change? And then the consultants are like, our SOW is up, we're gone. And then the company's right. like, um, help. <laughs> so, right. so John, John, when, when you said that, it made me think of um, we the other kind of anesthesia we use is we say, oh, well, expect a delta dip, right? Yeah. D- calling it a delta dip doesn't doesn't demonstrate. I've never heard that before, but I'm, I'm definitely not going to use that. <laughs> well, yeah, please don't. So it, it comes from Six Sigma days that, that says whenever there's a change uh, in the process, you you experience a a delta dip in output until everything normalizes again, right? Um, but the the idea um, when, when we say things like that, uh, or even say move slower to, to go faster, we're not exposing and, and being honest about the level of trauma these people are going to experience, right? We're we're just at that point we're not even being honest with them. We're, we're telling them, oh, you're fine when they're about to risk their life in open heart surgery. <laughs> right? But not, not even natural. I'll take it a step further. We're not being honest with them. We're not being honest with ourselves. Right. We're not even acknowledging, explicitly acknowledging that, hey, I'm about to cut Joel's heart chest open, right? With a saw and swap out of the organ that keeps him going, but he'll be fine. You, you guys know the running joke in the medical industry, by the way, where like if you uh, you try to treat it, and, uh, if there's an issue with somebody, like you try to do the assessment, do they need medication? Can we do some uh, exercises? They always try to avoid surgery. But if you ever bring in surgery, immediately they're like, oh, we can solve this with surgery because that's just what they're good at. Yep. So they usually only bring them in when they know it's a last resort. Like, okay, fine, we'll bring in surgery coaches that's the same thing where they're like hey i got a framework for you boom and they just like that's the surgery yep. it's, like, <laughs> it's like those studies that the best time to go to a hospital if you're having heart problems is during a um cardiologist convention where they're thousands of miles away because we get blinded by our own we get blinded by our own familiarity so yep. so let's let's talk about the elephant in the room though because obviously we we've all been and, and many of the people listening have been in in big T transformations and mm-hmm. what's going through people's heads right now is very likely but my organization is facing some real problems and and I would classify them as life threatening or at least my leadership would classify them as life threatening right and, and when that happens at, at the scale that uh, of the number of people who are listening that are probably feeling that way, um, in the health world, we would say that we've got a health epidemic. We've got a serious problem that, that needs to be addressed in people's uh, overall health, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if the number of companies out there that are facing extinction level events that that we can't avoid without massive capital T transformation and and organizational change, um, then we've got a much larger problem that that needs to be addressed. And by the way, I actually don't think that that we do. That's probably a little bit of a hot take. Um, But (laughs) coming soon to the Agile Uprising. Is Agile a cult? No. Is Agile a <laughs> epidemic coming soon? <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I don't think that, that we have that level of, of health problems, right? Because that would be accompanied by a mass uh, institution, a failing of the institution of our economy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the fact of the matter is, uh, we have incentivized via, via our, our various systems out in our society uh, being dramatic to force change and get our way, right? Our, our leadership says we've got an extinction level event. Uh, 
therefore we've got an extinction level event. We've, we've got a, a massive uh, a problem that could result in the death of the company because they feel like we can't make meaningful change unless we have, uh, what's that good old phrase, a burning platform? <laughs> Add that to my list of mechanical phrases, right? We, we have to have a reason to feel like we're going to die in order yeah. to change. Yeah. I don't actually think that that's the case, right? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, so we all know all the history of companies that um, were super proud and doing very well and thought they had good health and then got disrupted and just and, and shocked. And, you know, all of a sudden one day, and I'm just going to play along with the analogy here. It's like, hey, we're having great results. Things are going well. We don't even have to change anything with our health. And all of a sudden Blockbuster got cancer. Mm-hmm. And they were Everything like, collapses slowly and then all yep. at once. Yep. Yep. One same, and you could name store after store after like J.C. Penny, like it's just Blockbuster, BlackBerry, yeah. Ericsson. Uh, we the technology-wise, yeah. the list goes on and on and on. So, they were they were the all right, all right, but but John, I'm going to throw something at you here to to kind of help you along. Um, Do it, Blockbuster, and this is maybe another hot take. Blockbuster would not have been saved by practicing Scrum, right? No, and that's why I said you, know. you have you have, ter- you have terminal cancer. You have this long to live right. because at that point, you there was nothing like there was nothing they could do. Now, once again, this is why it's funny. I'm playing along with the analogy again. What happens if they got earlier health detection on what was happening? What happens if they did yeah. get that monogram? What happens See, if they I, did? Under- I kind of think Blockbuster was the patient that ignored the doctor because Netflix came to them. They they proposed a merger, right? That Netflix they has had all these things. And yep. Block, Blockbuster was kind of like, yeah, I know my, my cholesterol, my triglycerides are kind of high. And I know I really need to exercise, but God damn, I really want that fat Daryl from the sub shop, which is just <laughs> the worst thing for you. You know, I mean, it is, it is kind of, it is kind of self-inflicted. So Blockbuster- Jay, I fully, I fully expect the next time that, that we're in the same town, specifically if I'm in your town, I need to have a fat Daryl. It, it, is, it is a rare delicacy. I will find a place that offers them. It is, I mean, do you know what it is? I have no idea. It is a 12-inch, it's a 12-inch hoagie roll, sub roll for those of you in different parts of the country, that is filled with um, chicken tenders, fries, mozzarella sticks, pizza sauce across the top, and you melt mozzarella across the whole thing. And, uh, and it is, have, you buy five, to, you get a free angioplasty. It's terrible. I have to say this just because it's a burning analogy in my head too, but we also have the anomalies where it's the polar opposite, where you thought something was going to die and it just lives. And this might be the guy that says, I smoke a pack of cigarettes every single day and I'm 90 years old. George Burns. Yep. Yeah. There's just people like that where you're like, that shouldn't happen, but it does. And that's like cobalt. Cobalt refuses to die and it will always <laughs> yeah. be valuable. And it's just like, yeah. Hey, Cobalt will smack a pack of cigs every day. And guess what? It's still here. Well, it's still, like, it's still the, going. You know, along those same lines, somebody was, was talking to me about um, they're, they're taking some software classes to, to kind of up their skills and, and maybe get into a new career. And their instructor told them that uh, they shouldn't be chasing Python and all these new languages. They should be chasing uh, things like Cobalt and uh, and, and other things that he was like, I, I don't understand. These are ancient languages at this point. I said, dude, the highest, uh, the highest paid programmer that I personally know literally does nothing but goes into companies and interprets their old assembler code, their assembler code, literally just reads it and tells them what it says, (laughs) tells them what that program does. We have, we have reached an interesting inflection point. So, um, I want to kind of, I want to stay with the metaphor, but I want to take a little bit of a turn, Joel, there was something else you, you um, suggested and you were talking about moving from that, the, the idea of a mindset to the idea of a cycle. And how, oh, can, yeah. you, can you explain this, especially in terms of somebody is listening or maybe everybody's listening going, well, I don't understand. We're talking about, you know, engineering versus biology, mechanics versus doctors. How, how can we compare a mindset to a cycle? How, help, help our listeners. Can you help our listeners expand on that a little bit more? So let, let me tell a short story here. Um, so I am, uh, I've, I've been in agile coaching for probably about five-ish years now. And in my agile journey, uh, I, kind of slid into it accidentally. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Um, I, I got some some great opportunities. Some people believed in me in, along the way and, and offered me some opportunities. I said, okay, I'll do it. Um, but I didn't start out early in my career being like, 
hmm, I want to be an agile coach. Uh, but, <laughs> but as I started getting into this, this realm of things, uh, one of the things that bothered me, and it bothered me a lot, is we, uh, as agile coaches and, and the various agile thought leaders out there, uh, would pinpoint mindset as the source of most of our problems, right? Would say that uh, that something is a mindset problem. Uh, we need to change our mindset. Um, uh, I even I even started observing that oftentimes frameworks didn't actually matter. It was the mindset of the people involved that mattered, right? That the frameworks didn't solve our problem, but but mindset does. But almost nobody takes the time to explain how to change your mindset. <laughs> the best we come up with is, well, start doing Scrum and you'll get there eventually. Read some stuff. Just, just read some good books, you know? <laughs> and I really didn't find that satisfactory um, because the idea that, <clears throat> that the mindset is the source of, of all things, and this probably deserves its own podcast episode itself, but the idea that the mindset is the source of all things ignores the reality of, of our humanity, right? Our mindsets were created by something. They didn't just appear out of thin air. People can't just decide to have a different mindset, right? Um, it's like going and, and telling a, uh, somebody who is, is fat that they need to lose weight and that they need to just simply choose to lose weight. I mean, clearly they just don't have a mindset about it. So why can't you just do it? You know what you need to do. You have the knowledge. You need to eat less, exercise more. That's the recipe for losing weight, right? <laughs> um, but yet millions and millions of people don't. Uh, and it's not as simple as just choosing a different path, right? So, so I started kind of digging into some of the research on, um, on, on how this idea of the mindset works. And I had to venture outside of the realm of, of Agile for this, but I started putting together this, this picture and this idea that, uh, that there's actually a constant loop of, of uh, learning and, and mindset adjustment that's going on, right? Um, and and that, that idea is mindset creates behaviors that we do. Uh, behaviors create, uh, when they mix with everybody else's behaviors, outcomes, things that, that happen, right? And all of that fuels our, our personal context, the kind of the, the tank of all of our memories, all of our uh, experiences, all of our expectations, uh, et cetera, right? Uh, and, and that largely frames and, and creates what we consider to be our mindset, which Gil Broza actually does a fantastic job of explaining what mindset is in terms of, uh, of mindset is made up of principles that's, uh, that support and satisfy your values and beliefs and the values and beliefs guide your choice principles, right? But all those things come from somewhere, right? Um, so this, this idea of this loop of, of mindsets creating behaviors. Oh, did you just oh, freeze? We have a blip, we have a little oh. blip from Joel. <laughs> hopefully he comes back soon, but we'll ask. Uh oh did I have a blip? Yep, yep there he had is. a blip. My he bad? Said, okay. The key, just 10 the seconds, key, keep going. Yeah, the key concept between mindset and behaviors is, there you go. So, so, so mindsets, uh, mindset creates behaviors, behaviors create events, events create context, and context in turn creates mindsets. So when, when I when I kind of started piecing this together, there were a couple of, of key things that, that came out of that. One is that um, the idea that anybody, and, and this is more specific to Agile, is not Agile, is insane. We're always learning, we're always adjusting, we're, it's hardwired into our DNA. Literally the only way to not learn or to not have more things added into our context and impact our mindset is to be dead, right? Uh, and, and so it got me to think, it got me to really kind of look into and, and try to figure out what what do we call not learning? And what we call not learning are things like, um, uh, like our context being so full of trauma that, uh, that we actually, that's the heaviest factor in anything that we do, right? Um, 
And, and this ends up kind of bringing the idea of life cycle and these loops into the organic conversation, because I guarantee you, whatever organization you're in, you have trauma going on there. So your organization may be resistant to change, not because they inherently can't or, or can't learn new things or, or things like that, but most likely that organization is filled with trauma and things from its past, things that have built into its context and, and our collective uh, consciousness and memory in that organization that say, no, I can't have that mindset. That mindset's going to hurt me and harm me, right? Right, right. And the, I mean, in terms of trauma, it could be a failed attempt at adopting something, anything, a new process, right. a new tool set, a new way of working. It could be a failed agile transformation. It could be a failed rollout of a new time tracking system, anything. All those things, they, they, they pile up inside the psyche, the collective psyche of an organization. Yeah. And they build that. It's almost like um, they build that like gestalt, right? Yeah. And, and you are, we need to be cognizant of when we're trying to help organizations or help places change. That's one of the things we're up against. It's that narrative right. that's been created that it takes a long, sustained storytelling drive to really try to usurp that. Right. And, and when we think about it mechanically, we think that that's as simple as swapping out the parts, right? If, if we need to do an, right. an New engine leaders. overhaul yeah. uh, of a 1967 Chevy or, or whatever it is, okay, let's just take the engine out, replace it, it'll all be good, right? But in an organism, you know that even if you take the heart out and replace it, that patient is going to have to be on lifelong immunosuppressants, <laughs> you know? Like that trauma is, is not something that, that they're ever going to have the option of not dealing with. Right. Right. And, so and one we, of the things, Oh, go on, John, go on. No, I was, um, mine might be a little long. You want to go real quick? So I was just going to jump on, I was going to bootstrap on the back of Joel's and talk about right. how, when you talk about life cycles and you talk about an organism, right. And you talk about organs, for example, there are wheels within wheels, right? So you have an endocrine system, you have a capillary, you have a circulation system, you have a digestive system, respiratory system, all, and all of those different systems are all parts of a whole. So there is the idea of a cohesive whole. So like you said, you know, I do, a, I do an organ transplant, I do a heart transplant, I'm going to be on immunosuppressants. Well, what does that do long-term to my liver? What does that do long-term to my kidneys? What does that do long-term to my, um, my thyroid, right? Like all uh, hormone levels, all so, those things can be affected. So again, we're back to the holism. It's an organism. You need to treat everything as it arises. So, so real quick, John, before, before you hop in here, I, I want to draw, I want to piggyback off of that and just put something in people's minds, because this is something we've seen happen over and over and over again that causes trauma in companies. And that is the, let's scale down our IT department and outsource our, our entire organization, right? Like that is the, the equivalent of a heart transplant right there. And we see and, and deal with the trauma that that, uh, that that creates regularly, right? Right. Yeah, I agree. All right. So go ahead, John. Sorry. So <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to the cycles and, and describe, it was, it was really good, Joel, when you started to say like, hey, mindset is important. I, the audience has to remember, mindset's a critical piece of this. But when you die, look at it, the mechanical side, as Joel was saying, is yes, like everybody knows there's values, which is very subjective. They change over time, you know, but they are very important. Drive the principles that you have, right? Your, your rules, like some things that must happen that you abide by. And there's your beliefs. The interesting thing is based off the cycle that Joel was describing where, well, mindset's just a piece of it, right? Because how do you shape your values? Where do your principles come from? And so when you look at that cycle that Joel was describing with events, go to context, go to mindset, go to behaviors, and then behavior shape your new events. You know what that sounds an awful lot like? The OODA loop. And when you oh, look yeah. at the OODA loop, it's basically the same concept, except this is actually putting it in the perspective of, well, when you observe events and you orient yourself with your context, you know, you decide based off your mindset and then act with your behaviors. And so when you do that cycle and you go through that, it's so important to recognize that like 
these mindsets is such a critical piece, but it's literally 25% of what people are getting to really understand how to drive a right. transformation, if you will. Right. And it's, I can't stress how important it is that the context that people have and the events that they go through, how many people know the, all the events that people go through in their workplace or the context of where their head's at mm -hmm. before you just say, this should be your mindset. It's like, come on. And we've talked about that on uh, offline and even other podcasts, but we go in and simply just say, this should be your mindset. It shouldn't be that hard as you guys were saying, right? Just, just lose this, weight. This right? should be your just, mindset. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's just replace are, it. Let's replace the mindset. Install there, it. There, there are companies that are actually very sneaky and very good about this because what's one of the, some, here, I'll give credit to one of the companies where how do we get people to work out without feeling like they have the mindset or that they have to have the context to how to be like a meathead or that they have to be this. So what was the whole shtick behind a company that want, hey, we want you to come to the gym, but there's a no hunk zone. We don't want you to feel pressured. We don't want you to feel like you have to be like this stereotype. They were trying to change the mindset of people on what it means yeah. to work out. And so you have Planet Fitness that drove this and it worked very well because right. it shaped the behaviors of people being comfortable to work out. So they, that was just, yeah. yeah. Go yeah, ahead. There's, there's a lot that can be said about that, about the, the, you know, we could talk, we could do a whole episode on the idea of nudge theory and it is kind of yeah. kind of dark and that we can use our own program against us, but it works. Yeah. It works. So to close out my, and I'm curious, Joel and, and Jay, where you want to go with it? Because when you look at the cycles, and, and and I know, Jill, you were going to segue into this, and the layers of what that OODA loop or events, context, mindset, behaviors, what that actually brings, well, that OODA loop and that cycle, which is, once again, just repeating for the audience so they can follow along, events to context to mindset to behaviors, well, personally, that means something to people. But then you're going to also be on a team where that cycle is going to mean different for the team and their events, yeah. their context. So I know you have it in those onion layers where it makes sense because- it's, it, yes, each layer is, it's important and it's yeah. different and it, it changes it, over time. It, absolutely. And I think that's the key thing because this cycle is running all the time. It never stops, right? Um, we, we can't stop it except for maybe with anesthesia, but you, you know, right? Yep. Um, but absolutely. So your individual mindset, your behaviors, the, the, the context all ends up feeding, uh, this larger organism that you're a part of, right? The, the team, which in turn feeds this ecosystem that it's a part of, uh, that's, mm -hmm. that's maybe a company, right? Depending on the size of your company, you may actually have uh, realistically multiple communities of, of organisms within your company, right? Yep. Um, mm -hmm. but, but this, when we start thinking about this from an organic perspective, we start getting this feeling that we're all connected, right? Um, and that what we, what happens to us, what happens to the people around us has an impact on each other and an impact up and down everything. And by the way, when we start using a different metaphor, that starts to change parts of our mindset. That starts to change parts of the things that, that end up going into context, right? When things happen to us, and we're using a different metaphor than we used to, we can frame that context differently than, uh, than we would have before, right? Um, and, and so we, this gets to be in a little bit more of a, of a practical, uh, practical side of, of the kind of organic way of thinking, right? Um, but when, when, we, when we talk about these words mattering, um, and left last, last time even mentioned uh, biomechanical thinking and, and ways that we can start to, to shift and, and things like that, these things do impact our context. They do impact our, our mindset and in turn, the mindset of our team and our companies, right? Uh-huh. So, mm -hmm. so that I think that kind of closes us out on, on the reframing piece, right? <laughs> right. So, but so let's open another door, right? So we've talked about reframing. We're talking about the metaphor. We're talking about biology and doctors. What, how, how does this change of, of mental model, right? How does this change of mental model impact what we typically do in the world of agile coaching? How does moving from mechanical to organic, what is the differential there? 
So I think, I think the first thing um, in my mind is it moves us away from calling our, okay, another hot take. I'm full of hot takes. So if, uh, if any of you guys are listening, just know that, uh, that uh, these are, these opinions are my own, <laughs> but, but I think it, it in many ways moves us away from even calling it agile coaching, right? Um, so, so in a, in a mechanical world uh, uh, and, and metaphor of what we do, our kind of our goal is to create and sustain the the ability for our organizations, our teams, et cetera, to change with the market and, and with the needs of our customers, right? And by the way, that's a progressive view of Agile. That's the many, we, we've talked about that on this podcast uh-huh. before, right? That, that many times people's view of, of the goal of Agile is simply to in, install Scrum or, or whatever, right? Um, but even in a very progressive view of the role of Agile coaching, we want to indefinitely install an ability to adapt to change, right? Right. Um, and we, we talk about that success being optimizing value streams, reducing cycle times, increasing velocity, uh, and, uh, and while staying compliant and with all the necessary regulations, et cetera, right? But the one that we go to a lot is culture change, right? Right. We, we go to that as a measure of our success that, uh, that culture is, is kind of changes the, the end goal, right? Um, but I would, I would posit that on the organic side, if, if we're moving to that metaphor, we're not looking to at one single capability for the organization, right? We're not looking to sustain the ability to to adapt to change. That's an important part of it, just as important as keeping your blood pressure in check with, with the patient, right? But then in fact, we've got to take a much more holistic look and look at all of the ways that, that these organisms need to be healthy and make sure that we're not installing the ability to change um, in uh, at the cost of some of those other ones, right? It's like the uh, the patient with diabetes cutting all out all sugar only to consume too much salt. <laughs> right, right, right. right. They, they, it's it, there's more of a when you look at things as a doctor, um, and I don't remember the true medical term for it. You're looking at things more holistically, right? You need to look at the whole body, right? What, what's a, is that a homeopath? No, osteopath. Which one is it? I don't know. I don't remember what it's called. Um, Man, we, we really, we need to fly, find a doctor to come on the yeah, show and keep our, keep our lingo right, right? It'll be all yeah, if, if you're listening and you're a medical doctor, please uh, contact contact us on the Agile Uprising Discord. <laughs> yeah, osteopath. I got it. Osteopathic medicine is a, quote, whole person, quote, unquote, approach to medicine, treating the entire person rather than just the systems. Right. Well, that's what you're talking about, right? It, yeah. It's, you know, we talk about holistically in organiz- in, in companies and enterprises while osteopathic. Uh, osteopathically is that even a real word um when it comes to coaching in the organic right and and by the way this makes sense because one of the biggest when we talk through agile coaching and, and we're on our on the the discord talking about the challenges we're having in agile coaching nine times out of ten the barriers to whatever whatever problem we're trying to fix is somewhere else in the system that's not directly related to, to Agile, right? We've talked a number of times about how if, if, uh, if we were really serious about uh, completely transforming organizations into Agile entities, we would go tackle finance, <laughs> you know? That uh-huh. <laughs> we would go figure out how to reform, how companies uh, use money and, and shuffle money around to be more Agile, right? Yeah, there's, there's a lot going through my head right now, and I'm just going to try and best word vomit the best I can. So the, when we try to say it's the whole body, right, what's going through my head is in, in, you know, the whole molecular, molecular biology of that the cells are making up the company. That's like how, what's making up the organization. So when we're talking about what's the mental model, to your point, Jay, that they need to have is... And we, it's been pushed a little bit in the agile space with this, but it's not a focal point. But hey, the CEO and the engineer and the team, you're both cells. You both have roles. 
Now, one may influence more than the other, and there might be more of the cell than the other, but you're still part of the overall body of the system of what makes up all the cells. And where I was going with this too is, and I'm curious, Jay, and I'll just pause because this might bring up some debate what I'm about to say too. Not all cells stay superior and you do get inferior cells over time. So yes. sometimes, you know, when things happen, like for example, you may uh, gain a muscle memory of, so actually a better example of this is the cells may actually just um, be inferior in your system where your white blood cells take over. And where I'm going with this is, is there may be things that get attacked in the system because they feel like they're uh, bad in the system, right? And we see this in the corporate world where someone may be doing something like building a thiefdom and then the white blood cells come in and say, no, you shouldn't do that. But sometimes the sickness is too great. We need coaches to come in and treat it because we yep. can't do something. Our body can't handle it. This is going to be really interesting to also see the cycle of how people also try to intentionally weed out low talent and bring her higher talent and what that does to the cells and the mental mm. model that they have. Um, it's uh, This is what's going through my head of just if we treat the organism where they're all cells and they all have important roles, although some cells are more than others, that all makes up the body. How do we figure that out in the real world for what our listeners are doing and what they're experiencing, where we still have people that are trying to get weeded out and try to always say, you have to hit your performance goals, you have to do this, and it's still opti like local optimization. There's still all this happening, right? So what is gonna get people to actually care about the health and of the overall system? When is that, what, what actually makes them start to care about it? Because right now their mental model is, well, that's, that's good for the company, but that's not me. And I think I, that's gonna be the struggle. You, you just, and I, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because I want to save it for the episode we have coming up on adaptability versus survivability. Mm. But when you talked about voluntary cell death, right? So there's a term for that. It's called apoptosis, right? And it is a normal yeah. biological process. And what happens in the human body when you have apoptosis where you don't want it to happen, you end up with Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. However, where you have apoptosis turning off and it not happening where it should, you have cancer, mm. right? So I, I, I'm, I got to, I wrote it down because I want to come back to that analogy in more detail when we talk about adaptability versus survivability, because I think much like the Kellogg's corporation announced this week that they're splitting into three separate business entities, right? Like maybe yeah. this is something that companies really do need to think about, not voluntary death per se, but the excision of different parts in order to sacrifice towards the whole. But I, I don't want to, I don't, I'm sorry. I kind of just went on a rant there. Not so, like so I think, I, I think uh, to, to kind of answer your question from a, a side, not directly, John, but I'll, I'll come at it from the side. Um, I, I think what we start to look for is, um, is talking with companies about, uh, about as if we're doctors, right? adopting more of that language, adopting and, and clearly explaining uh, the, the health risks involved with the decisions that they're making, right? Um, doctors can't make us care about our health. And that's, that's another thing that, uh, that a lot of our conversation has been kind of circling around in the Agile coaching. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, Man, there's so there's so many different ways, like so many different places I could take this conversation. I'm not really sure where I want to I want to kind of go with it next. Um, so, John, let me let me ask you this. Um, one mm -hmm. of the things that when Joel's connection re returns, um, one of the things Joel talked about when you look at agile coaching versus as an organic thing versus a mechanical thing is the idea of uh, gaining the gaining as much quality of life as possible. So how would you apply that statement to this metaphor that we're working with? Mm. Gaining as much quality of life. So if you look at it in the reverse side, when, all right, let me start by saying gaining as much quality of life is pretty much looking at all the things that you, and I don't want to use the mechanical phrases. So I want to be careful here because this is where people creep up and say, what do you value? And like those things start to creep up and it goes back to mindset. But I mean, you're ex the whole thing that we were just describing where I kept referencing as an OODA loop, but the behaviors, events, and context, I mean, that makes up the quality of your life, right? 
because you have bad experiences and bad events and bad context and you have good. So really it's, it's very subjective and opinionated, but at the same time, there is a health portion to it. Like, um, let's start talking it out. So what does it mean to have a good quality of life? Well, you could drink a lot, party all day and pretty much eat junk food and probably think you have the best quality of life because you're just living it up. And guess what? Based off our life cycles of when we're young, maybe we can tolerate that, right? Because there's another factor here we didn't even get into, which is time and stuff, but we're not going to, that's going to get really off the rails. So, because, you know, startups can have a little more loose and fun. That's where we can get play with that. But where I'm going with this is, is you have the quality of life aspect that you can look into that also is the bad experiences and how that actually shapes you in a positive way sometimes. This is where learning comes in, right? And you can learn by failure. So the quality of life, I'm going to pause there because I want to gather my thoughts more, but that's where my initial head was at when you asked the question. But I'm curious, Joel, what do you, what do you want to say? Yeah, so so quality of life, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how um, when uh, when we see a patient who's had a major surgery or uh, maybe even like shoulder surgery or something like that. Uh, one of the things that, that the rehab doctors will, and by the way, we send people to special specialized doctors with rehabilitation, right? So, so that's just something to tuck into your head with maybe coaching specializations one day, right? right. Um, but, but one of the things that they look to do is to gain back as much function of whatever was was sick whatever was operated on as as possible right if it's your shoulder you want to get back as much of the range of motion as much of the lifting capability as possible but also accepting that it may very well not be possible for a hundred percent of that to ever return right um and so so when we talk about uh that like those big traumatic uh, change events that, that we do uh, to, say, outsource the entire IT department, we may have to, if we're looking at it at an organic lens, and I think this, this bears witness with anecdotal evidence, we have to accept that maybe the, uh, the quality of life of the organism will have permanently changed and not necessarily for the better, right? That um, that, that we may not ever gain back the full function of the use of the IT department as a result, even if we were to bring it all back in house. Right. 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 Um, and that no amount of dollars spent, no amount of transformation, not even the best, um, the best agile coach in the world can, um, can make your severely injured shoulder <laughs> that just had surgery as yeah. literally as good as new, right? There are impacts that medicine, that coaching cannot fix. And our goal instead has to be to just try to get it as, as healthy as possible under the circumstances, right? Mm. So let me ask you this, Joel, building on this, if we start viewing the idea of coaching as a more biological function as opposed to a mechanical engineering function, what's the ethical impacts of this? How does our, how does our own mindset, approach, behavior? How do we have to change in order to best, um, best adopt this new way of creating a metaphor? So, so in my mind, when we start thinking about this organically, we avoid in the mechanical world, we avoid a lot of sticky ethical um, implications and questions by our dehumanizing approach to the language that we use, right? We avoid, um, and, and we've talked about this before, sometimes necessarily so, the, the real emotional impact of laying off 10% of the workforce, right? By calling mm -hmm. resources. Um, when, when perhaps if we realized that we were destroying the lives of 10,000 people and their families, maybe we wouldn't be able to do what we needed to do in order to save, save the patient, so to speak, right? right? But there are a whole lot of ethical questions that start coming up um, when, when we start thinking organically, right? Uh, one of them is the idea that, um, 
that we aren't fixing things. We're, we're diagnosing things, we're, we're treating things, we're, we're trying to get people, in some cases, out from under our care and back to living their life as much as we possibly can, right? Um, we, we start thinking about the, uh, the ethics of, and we talked about this a little bit last time, of trying to make the 95-year-old man compete with the 20-year-old, right? Um, and, and is it ethical to, to try to do that? It, and I think Lep appropriately brought up, well, yeah, if the 95-year-old man uh, has to, to compete with the 20-year-old to survive, he's got to do what he's got to do to survive. And, and my question is, what does that say about, about us if we're making a 95-year-old man compete with a 20-year-old man to survive? <laughs> right, right. right. And that's a major ethical question that, that you start having to, to ask, right? Um, but the probably the biggest one and the one that I know that the three of us have talked in depth about is how we treat um, how we treat uh, diseases, disorders, whatever you want to call them in this new paradigm. Um, because if if we came along with and and were using the doctor equivalent of, of the types of solutions we bring to the table often, we would be no different than a medical shaman, <laughs> right? We, we, we oftentimes prescribe things to, uh, to organizations, to leaders, to teams that have at best anecdotal evidence, right? At, at worst, um, they're, they're just complete marketing fluff. <laughs> Um, and, and even the stuff that has a lot of research, if you dig into the research that's, that's been done, many of them are self-reported case studies that, that look and sound and read similar to, uh, to things like, um, uh, hey, my, uh, by rubbing rose essential oil on my elbow, it's cured me of cancer, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and so, so we don't apply the same level of scrutiny of, of ethical impact to the things that we prescribe and ask organizations to do that, that we would if we truly saw this in a very organic way, right? Um, and, and I think that, that ends up being the biggest ethical problem that we have to face because we don't have really solid data about what uh, what agile and, and what transformational methods uh, and, and treatments work, what uh, particularly what works better than a placebo would, right? Because that's mm-hmm. the standard for medicine. If, if it's going to be an accepted treatment, it can't just work. It has to work better than, yes. than something that we have no idea <laughs> what we're being given, right? Yep, that yep. Has to, be, has to work better than being given just water, right? And so... So that holds us as a community and starts to hold us to us to a level of ethical responsibility that we aren't being right now, and that, that I think that we we have to be if we're going to make this transition from mechanical to organic. So, and I so two things I think I, I want to kind of wrap us up because I think we've kind of come full circle. But before I do, John, you said you had some crazy idea. That was oh, bouncing around your head. It? All right. Well, we won't get into it because it's a whole other podcast. You ready? So yeah. when there was the mention of the types of engineering that maybe can also be applied, there are actually intentional practices, right? Where they actually manipulate the cells and innovate and try to do stem cell and actually intentionally inject something to see what happens. That's a whole nother thing that we could apply analogy wise for how we approach an organization. And we actually say, well, these are the cells. This is how it organically, what happens if we just, you know, ripped out this department or if we just spliced this area, like what would happen? Now, obviously that's why there's a lot of controversy to doing that for organisms, because we don't know what'll happen. You could die, you could harm them. You could do that. And that's why there's so much controversy in doing these types of experiments. We kind of do that in organizations, though, as coaches, and nobody talks about that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we also get rid of your project managers. It's like, mm, do we do we really want to do that? That seems drastic. 
you know, we, we also try to clone organizations frequently. We're like, <laughs> Hey, you know, uh, yes. why don't you just be like that other department? Obviously they, yeah. they use this very successful. Why can't you, are you an idiot? Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, yes. duplicity should what happens. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When you copy the copy, you know, I, you know, puts <laughs> pizza in the wallet and he wants a dolphin for a gift. It's kind of groovy. Um, so, so to, to, to wrap us up, right. To take us full circle. Um, I think that, and, I, and I'm just going to steal this liberally from Joel because he wrote the slide, but if you think about where we're going in the future, with, with the, where we're going, not only in the presentation of this metaphor, but also where this whole series is going to go, it's shifting from mechanical to organic analogy, right? Mega, uh, mechanic, mechanical to organic analogy and ways of thinking, terminology. Um, we need to change our expectations of co both companies, teams, and ourselves. And the last key takeaway was we need to diagnose and treat problems with ethics like we were doctors, not mechanics. And I think those, those three things kind of just put the whole bow on the whole concept. So uh, for what's next for our listeners, what's next? So we have a whole bunch of episodes coming up in the series of stuff we're going to dive into. We're going to dive into the idea of survivability versus adaptability. Do you sacrifice one to the other? How does that come into play? We're going to talk about organizational sickness and the difference between the disease and illness and the sickness. What does that all mean? Uh, lastly, we're going to talk about um, conceptually, uh, how do organisms evolve and co-evolution with each other? What is the best way to look at these closed but open-ended systems of mutual benefit? Um, symbiogenesis. We're going to really go down the rabbit hole on this one. Jay might, get a, Jay might get a genetics degree just by doing the homework for that episode. <laughs> so once again, I want to thank... Um, John Joel for coming on, for taking the time to bring these conversations we've been having online into the real space to help spread the word to others. I want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in once again. Hopefully this kind of jars some memories and kind of jars some thoughts, makes you think. Please let us know. Hop on the Discord server and get in the conversation. We are having these conversations uh, loudly and publicly. So please hop in and let us know what you think. Um, blah, blah, blah. Patreon, blah, blah, blah. Like and subscribe. Uh, blah, 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 committed to always be free. So once again, until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast signing out.